0: Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL two three two fifteen forty two 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation. Lots of conversation to be had. Of course, you can absolutely send a message through the k app. If you have the k app, hit the little text message looking icon up in the upper right corner. Select general message. You can message the show. i read those on the air. I'll respond to you all on the air off the air, etc. You can also call in 232-1542. Now, I need to get to more on the Devin Archer, Hunter Biden stuff. The Democrats are struggling to move the goalposts. I want to read you this from the New York Times earlier today. Mr. Archer's testimony underscored that Mr. Biden had made false or misleading statements regarding his family members' finances. During the 2020 presidential debate, Mr. Biden claimed that no one in his family had received money from China when, in fact, Hunter Biden and his business associates took in millions from a Chinese firm. In 2019, Mr. Biden also repeatedly said he had never discussed and had never spoken to Hunter Biden about his business dealings. Recently, the White House spokeswoman, Karine Jean-Pierre, has begun speaking in less declarative terms about the matter, saying that Mr. Biden was never in business with his son. Now, one line in this story stands out. It has long been known that the elder Mr. Biden at times interacted with his son's business partners. It has long been known that the elder Mr. Biden at times interacted with his son's business partners. One more time for the people in the back, it has long been known that the elder Mr. Biden has at times interacted with his son's business partners. It's long been known, really, because the media and the Democrats and the White House have all been denying it since the beginning. And they've only recently begun to shift the goalposts a bit. Now, this is important. This is important to understand. They are trying desperately to shift the goalposts on this. Representative uh, Daniel Goldman of New York. Trying to wash it away. Uh, This is the same guy that came out and said, oh, Joe Biden was just at it was all pleasantries, all niceties. How's the weather whenever he was put on the phone? with Hunter Biden's business associates, okay? He, they're trying to explain it away now, listen.
1: Could you just, with specifics, tell us these phone calls that were a matter of such a uh, discussion yesterday, like, what were they about? What would, what would then Vice President Biden say in these conversations, you know, walk us through what happened? Right, so uh, let's put this in context. Bo Biden got very sick in early 2015. He died in the spring of 2015, which was right in the middle when Devin Archer um, had his, his business dealings uh, with uh, Hunter Biden. At that point, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden began to speak every day because they were both devastated by Bo's death. They spoke every day. The witness testified that over his 10 year relationship with Hunter Biden, there may be approximately 20 times when in one of those conversations, uh, Hunter Biden would put his uh, father at a dinner, not at a business meeting, at a dinner that he was having if he happened to get a hold of his father and would ask his father to say hello to whoever was at the table and that was essentially the extent of it. They didn't he it was unclear and and the witness testified this is not me saying, that the witness testified that a lot of times, most of the time, Joe didn't even know who the people were at the dinner table. So this was just simply uh this may have been Hunter's effort to say, hey, this is, you know, the vice president, this is my dad. But the critical part here for Congress, and that's what we have to make sure we understand, is that Joe Biden was doing nothing to benefit his son.
0: Joe Biden was doing nothing to benefit his son. That's that's what they're pushing. They've now gone from he had no interactions with any of these people to, well, he wasn't really doing anything to benefit his son. It's very easy to see what was going on here. You and I, if we are visiting with friends and our parent calls us, we're probably not going to put our parents on the phone while we're visiting with friends and say, hey, say hi to so-and-so if that parent doesn't know who they are. That's just not something you do. Hunter Biden, however, was not just getting his dad to exchange pleasantries with the flavor of the month with his business dealings. it seems pretty clear that Hunter Biden was verifying that yes, his dad is Joe Biden. Hunter Biden is, he's benefiting. He's the ultimate beneficiary of white privilege. And this is one of the reasons that black voters are turning sour on the Biden administration. It is noticeable. It is palpable. Hunter Biden is a crack addict. Hunter Biden is a drug addict. He has done terrible things. He has broken the law. Hunter Biden used his daddy's connection and his daddy's influence and power to get access and get jobs and get influence and get money that he otherwise had no business getting because he was otherwise a nobody with no special talent or skills. It was his father's name and his father's power and his father's connection that got him those jobs, not begrudging him of that at all. Every everybody in some way tries to use some connection they have to get access that they didn't normally get. It's a common practice. And in the upper class white elite world, it happens a lot. Hunter Biden's father, His influence, his name, his power helped get his son out of trouble, legal trouble. And that was back during the the, the drug addict days. Hunter Biden's dad, with his influence and his power, is now once again getting his son out of trouble. The ultimate white privilege, by the way, because how many people can say their dad's lawyers are on the prosecution and the defense? There's a reason Hunter Biden got that sweetheart plea deal that a judge then threw out and said, this is crazy. No. I don't begrudge Joe Biden getting help from his dad. In a vacuum, that's perfectly fine. But we're not in a vacuum. Because Hunter Biden used his dad's name and influence and power To work for foreign governments, including the Chinese Communist Party, and give the Chinese Communist Party access to American resources. What's more, Hunter Biden broke the law by not registering as a foreign agent. He broke the law by purchasing a firearm without disclosing his past. He has broken the law several times and he gets to skate on it most of the time. This is somebody who refused to acknowledge his own child and in a child support settlement said the child could not bear his name, his last name, and instead of any real support, the child got Hunter's paintings. It took bad polling and criticism from Biden's own side, from Joe Biden's own side, for him to finally acknowledge at five o'clock on a Friday when the news cycle is pretty much dead and gone for the week. To finally say, yeah, we have a seventh grandchild. Devin Archer is a convicted criminal. Hunter Biden is a criminal. Hunter Biden's dad used his name and power and influence to get Hunter Biden access to the things that he would ultimately commit crimes doing with. The entire family, out of pride, out of shame, whatever it is, refused to acknowledge a blood relative. None of these are good people. Devin Archer is not a good person. Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, these are not good people. And the amount of gymnastics that the Democrats and the media—and the media, I think, is the more shameful part here because you expect a partisan politician to act this way. And unfortunately, we don't expect the media to act any other way at this point because the American mainstream media is of the left, is aligned with the left, and will side with the left at any given opportunity— But the amount of gymnastics that they have to do to try to make all of this seem okay is appalling. Especially when you look at their recent attacks against, say, Clarence Thomas. There was no allegation of impropriety, and yet Democrats want to pack the court, force major ethics changes, investigate all of that the Supreme Court because Clarence Thomas had a rich friend who he went on trips with had no business before the court, but he, they want to investigate Clarence Thomas for that, but they do not hold their own president and his son to the same standard when there is clearly impropriety. That is the hypocrisy here. And that's why you're seeing things like black voters moving away from the Biden administration. That's why you're seeing things like Donald Trump starting to take the lead in polling in one-on-one versus Biden. That's why you're starting to see these things, because Americans understand the hypocrisy. Here. They understand how bad all this looks. 232-1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message to the KPL app chat. We'll have more of your news of the day here on The Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. If you're looking for more great conservative content throughout the day, why don't you head on over to my site, redstate.com. I'm a senior editor over there and I work with a lot of great conservatives, putting out a lot of great news and opinion each and every day. Plus, if you use my name, Joe, as the promo code, you can subscribe with a discount to our VIP section where you'll get a ton more great content that you won't find anywhere else. Check out redstate.com today. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232 1542 is the number or use the KPL app chat if you want to be part of the conversation. So the, the Hunter Biden stuff, I've maintained since we started talking about impeachment. And, and the other day when I had Congressman Mike Johnson on, he kind of said the same thing, that impeachment's definitely on the table. The problem is it just doesn't really go anywhere. There's no way you can get Senate Democrats to even you know bring it up. You can send the, the articles of impeachment over, but nothing's going to happen in the Senate. So what should the Republicans' plans be? You can go after Joe Biden. You can even go after his underlings like Mayorkas, like Merrick Garland, et cetera. But the best way, the best way to defeat the Democrats at this is to just continue to expose. And then in 2024, make sure your own side is motivated. Vote them out of office. Vote them out of power. Because if you impeach Joe Biden, what do you get? You get Kamala Harris as the next president. And sure, maybe Alejandro Mayorkas resigns and maybe Merrick Garland resigns out of shame or because they get impeached too, but then who would Kamala Harris nominate? Someone worse. And in the Senate, you may not have all that much problem getting those people sworn in. You don't know that Manchin will stay apart from the Democrats. You don't know that Kirsten Sinema will stay separate from the Democrats in that case. The best way for Republicans to move forward on this is going to be voting them out. And the Republican Party needs to do that. Now, when we come back from this next break, we need to talk about the Republican Party because there are a lot of things happening in the GOP primary right now. Donald Trump is on track to be out of money in just a matter of months. And you have the other primary contestants fighting over different issues that Republicans may not need to be fighting on. We'll talk about that and more here on The Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Hey, this is Joe Cunningham, and you're listening to the podcast version of my daily radio show. Now, if you want to listen live, all you need to do is download the KPL News app to your phone. You can listen live every weekday from 3 to 4 p.m. and communicate with the show using the app's chat feature. So go over to your App Store, download the KPEL News app, and listen to my show every day from 3 to 4 p.m. Central Time on News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL. 232 1542 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPEL app chat. JD. Uh, Sends a message, hard to believe the Democrats would have much worse than what Biden has in office. Never underestimate them, J.D. Never underestimate what the Democrats... There's always worse than Joe Biden. Joe Biden was the best they had to offer in 2020. The best they had to offer. Kamala Harris has shown that she's among the worst they have to offer, and yet she somehow is a heartbeat away, sometimes very literally, from the presidency. Now, Mike's comment actually leads into part of what I want to talk about in this segment. So Mike from BroBridge says, not to be Captain Obvious, but Donald Trump is a multi-billionaire. And in fact, uh, recent estimates from Forbes have Donald Trump at $2.5 billion for his net worth. No such thing as him running out of money. Plus, everyone already knows who he is, so more political ads wouldn't really do much to help him. That in general is true, but there are a couple things to note there. One, Donald Trump himself is not very liquid. Donald Trump is a real estate mogul. Most of his net worth is tied up in property. It's It would take a while for him to convert into cash what he really needs. Now, here's the other thing. This isn't about him. This is about his campaign, his PAC, the uh, the uh, Save America PAC. It has 3.6 million cash on hand after spending 30 million in the second quarter of 2023. Save America PAC started the year with 105 million in the bank and raised 53.9 million in the first half of 2023. The legal expenses by and large are bleeding money. Trump has a network of political action committees for different purposes, Trump for president, the Trump Save America Joint Fundraising Committee, the Save America PAC, and the Make America Great Again PAC. Combined, they all have $32 million left. Over the weekend, and I meant, I think I mentioned it briefly yesterday, over the weekend we found out that, that Trump can still raise a lot of money. A lot of his donations have come from small-dollar donors. They have not tapped out on the on the legal limit that you can contribute to a campaign. But that money is almost entirely being diverted to pay his growing legal expenses. That's not a good situation for Donald Trump. See Trump himself is worth $2.5 billion. That's absolutely true. But Trump has to have a campaign, he has to have staff, he has to have people who are, legally he has to have people that are running the day-to-day operations of his campaign. He has to have people that are in charge of that because there's so much paperwork, there's so many things that have to be done line by line to comply with election law. And if Trump runs out of money and he can't pay them, he's got to start letting people go. And the fewer people there are, the less accountable the campaign is ultimately going to be able to be. They just simply will not have the numbers on staff to make sure that everything is on the up and up. What's more, you have to hire people to make your ads. Even though, yes, you're right. Ads may not make much of a difference as far as his name recognition goes, but as far as getting his message and what he wants to accomplish and why he's running again and all of that, he's got to get that out there in ads. He has to have a good yard sign operation. He's got to be able to organize events, have travel expenses. All of, He's got to pay for all those things through the campaign. He cannot self-fund that just out of his own pocket. He's If he's going to use his own money, he's got to donate it to his campaign. He's got to give his own campaign a loan that the campaign would eventually have to pay back. That's a lot of extra steps for a campaign for a guy who is the current frontrunner and, yes, is polling at about 50% or above in most national polling in the primary. But remember what I said yesterday. He's below 50% in several of the early states. It's not a guaranteed victory. He still has to go to those early states. He's got to make those appearances. He's got to make sure that he's fresh on everybody's mind because as the other candidates raise money and travel to these states in glad hand with all the folks on the ground and they go to the, the everyone's favorite pizza restaurant in some backwater Iowa town as they go and do this speaking event at a town hall somewhere. And Donald Trump's not there because he can't afford to do the travel there. He can't afford to have a campaign outpost there. Those numbers start to shift. And if he is set to run out of money by like November, that's not a good situation for Trump. He's got to start making himself liquid. He's got to start making that loan to his campaign. He's got to start doing that in order to just be able to have the staff on hand. Remember, overstaffing is what led Ron DeSantis to have some financial problems that he had to trim down about a third of his campaign staff or more. It was a big cut in campaign staff because DeSantis's campaign was bloated, and he's got a ton more money on hand between him and his pack than Donald Trump does right now. This is all a pretty, pretty canary in the coal mine moment for Donald Trump. The, the legal expenses are adding up. On the flip side of the primary equation, you have Republicans that are now kind of going back and forth on each other on issues that Republicans... Have some differences of opinion on, but you don't see them going at each other like they are right now. Ron DeSantis the other day, in an interview with Megan Kelly, she asked about a nationwide abortion ban, and Ron DeSantis essentially said, "We need to leave that up to the states we We have states that are making good uh progress on the issue of abortion in the states, and we need to let the states do that. He's taking a very constitutional conservative approach that it is a state issue, and the states need to work on this that's the whole reason. That conservatives wanted Roe versus Wade overturned because it's a state issue. The Susan B. Anthony uh, pro-life America group, their president blasted DeSantis for not pushing for a national abortion ban. Tim Scott and Mike Pence joined in on that attack and both said that you need a strong national leader on abortion, essentially saying they would push for some sort of nationwide ban on abortion at some level, be it 15 weeks or whatever. A couple things you need to know. The Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America group said they were going to stay neutral in the race, but their president is a former uh, there's a former associate, I think, camp, I think worked on the campaign for Donald Trump previously. Also keep in mind that this group said nothing when Donald Trump attacked Ron DeSantis for championing a six-week abortion ban in Florida. And Donald Trump said, you shouldn't be going so pro-life, you're going to scare people away. The Susan B. Anthony group, SBA, said nothing about any of that. SBA, as Chip Roy points out on Twitter, also was pretty absent recently on a major issue in Congress, the National Defense Authorization Act. They said nothing, SBA said nothing when there were Republicans that were supporting, let me find his tweet. I want to make sure I tell you this right. The governor, talking about Ron DeSantis, this is Chip Roy's tweet. The governor stands up for life, recognizes the constitutional role of states. But meanwhile, when we have a major fight on the Hill, did SBA pro-life score against the National Defense Authorization Act in the Senate when all but four GOP senators refused to force to refused to force and end Biden's abortion tourism policy? No, they were MIA. So SBA pro-life is attacking Ron DeSantis while its president has ties to Donald Trump and while they were silent on issues like Trump attacking DeSantis over a pro-life bill and while the National Defense Authorization Act was pushing through abortion uh, tourism for the military. Republicans are having this issue right now because you, Tim Scott and, and Mike Pence their path forward is to try to consolidate evangelicals, evangelicals, by and large, across across the Republican base. Evangelicals are relatively up for grabs. They stood with President Trump early, but Trump's recent attacks on the pro-life movement, blaming the pro-life movement for 2022, attacking Ron DeSantis over the six-week abortion ban, It's caused some evangelical leaders behind the scenes to start questioning. And so evangelical leaders are looking for an alternative. Mike Pence is is an evangelical. Tim Scott has talked a lot about his faith. They both want the evangelical vote. And so, of course, they're going to attack Ron DeSantis from this angle. Now, I say from this angle, they're not attacking DeSantis from his right. They are two separate positions on the same side of the political spectrum. They are pushing more for pro-life than DeSantis is, but DeSantis is, is discussing pro-life at the state level where he sees the issue should be fought. In the grand scheme of things, this probably doesn't mean much. Ron DeSantis can play for a wider part of the Republican base, but Tim Scott and Mike Pence have to go after DeSantis and they have to try to consolidate evangelicals as best they can. But this infighting between the other primary candidates is happening while Donald Trump is bleeding money because of the legal stuff, because the Democrats, because the DOJ, because folks across the country have been pushing these indictments and charges and investigations against Trump and he's having to fight all these legal battles. It's distracting Trump from the campaign trail. It's very interesting because you get the sense talking or listening to Democrats, they want Trump To be Biden's opponent. They think Trump is the most beatable Republican in the race. But at the same time, they also hate him so much. They want him in jail. They don't care for what they just want him in prison. They may be forcing him out of the race by draining his pocketbook. The Democrats don't really know what they want right now. They're just so blinded by their hatred of Trump. But the Republican primary is about to turn very ugly because as Donald Trump runs out of money and he's got to figure out a way to retain his support without having to spend as much because there's not going to be as much to spend, he's going to start getting even nastier against Ron DeSantis and the other opponents. The other opponents, meanwhile, are going to look at Ron DeSantis and say, look, the way the way to the nomination is through, they're going to say it's through DeSantis. They think Trump is on his way out and the road, all roads go through DeSantis. So they're going to start going after him. And DeSantis, meanwhile, is trying to make this shift on the economy. He wants to make this campaign shift. He wants to try to move away from the woke and social justice stuff. And it's going to start turning very ugly, probably a lot sooner than some Republicans would have wanted it to. But that's where we are right now in this primary. A very interesting situation. 232 1540 is the number if you want to call in or send a message through the KPL app chat. We'll take this last break, come back, finish off the show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. You know, in case you miss any show, you can always go back and listen. They aren't lost forever once you listen to them, but I do have a request. If you guys listen to The Joe Cunningham Show and you like what you're listening to, Go to your podcast app, wherever you're listening to this from, and give the podcast a rating and a review. That helps get the podcast out in front of more eyes so that we can help the show grow. Thanks again for listening to The Joe Cunningham Show right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232 1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, uh, Mike, with a follow up on the app, think Trump is letting the indictments and TV coverage be as political ads. Every indictment is a new fundraiser for him, too. In the past, it was. And we saw a bump in the polling and a bump in the fundraising from the New York indictments. We saw a little bit of the same from the Mar-a-Lago indictments, but we didn't see as much of a bump after the Mar-a-Lago indictments. And we're not really seeing much of a bump right now. What we're seeing is that in a one, one-on-one one matchup with Joe Biden, Trump is is not so much gaining as, as as Joe Biden is falling. Joe Biden is an incredible liability on the Democrats. He's going in with a worse incumbent advantage than Trump did uh, in 2020. I mean, and, and, and Trump's incumbency advantage was, because of COVID largely, uh, Trump's incumbency advantage was was pretty much eradicated and Joe Biden's appears to be worse this time. There's going to come a point when the persecution by the Democrats stops being as much of a flashpoint for conservatives and a rallying cry for conservatives and starts being more of a liability. And i, I given the money situation, how much money they've burned through I'm wondering if you're going to start seeing that. Now, again, Donald Trump has an advantage in that he is a multibillionaire and he can make a loan to his campaign, and his donors are primarily small donors. The large donors have gone to other candidates. They they see Trump as more of a liability than an asset, so they're looking at other candidates. But, like, Ron DeSantis has raised a ton of money, but it's all by capped-out donations from large donors. Trump has a ton of small-dollar donors and is able to generate money that way. So he may be able to replenish some of his stock that way. I'm not sure how much. And again, this isn't a declaration that anybody is in or anybody is out or anybody's inevitable or anybody's guaranteed to crash. It's still way too early. It's way too early to really know for certain. But given what you're seeing, Trump does have to raise a lot more money right now. And whether it's through the Democrats continuing to indict or anything like that, he's going to have to find some way to get his supporters to keep donating money. But with all the uncertainty about the economy, how much more money are they willing to, to send over his way either? That's going to play a part of it, too. We'll see going forward. It, it's, it's just from a political science perspective, it is incredibly interesting. To watch, and y'all's comments, Mike and 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 JD and the others who have commented today and um, in the past when y'all have commented or called in, we've all had different perspectives. A lot of y'all are kind of united in some of the same way, but you all have different perspectives on it. And that, with the diversity in this Republican field and just the lay of the land politically, it's a fascinating study, which is why I focus so much more on this than than uh, the, the Democrats side. I mean, we know the lay of the land for the Democrats. We don't know how the Republican Party pr- plays out. That's what's interesting here to me. All right, you guys have a great day. I'll be back in 23 hours. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham show, email Joe at redstate.com. You can find a podcast version of the show very soon here on JoeCuttinghamShow.substack.com, just go or just go to wherever you get your podcasts—Apple, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure when you go, give it a review and a rating, so that other people will be able to see it, get it in front of those eyes, and grow the show that way. You guys have a great one. Shannon is back in studio. He is offsides next here on News Talk ninety-six point five KPL.